What's up, everyone? Before we get into this podcast, just wanted to let you know that when we made this podcast, we were going to have it be one episode. I've made the decision to cut it into two episodes into the NL and then the AL. So NL will be one episode, AL will be two. So when you hear us talk about, hey, you'll be listening to this on Tuesday, yada, yada, yada. Just know that that was when we thought it was going to be one episode and then it went really long. So there might be confusing uh, dates and times on these bad boys, but just remember that it was supposed to be one. Now it is two. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcasts. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome everyone to Dane Corners, a baseball podcast. And we are here with Jimbo today. And we are a little bit late. We're going to come out on Friday. Then we're going to come out on Saturday, but we decided to wait through the weekend so that we could actually see full series. And now we are recording on a Monday, potentially to be out later today, or maybe you're listening to this on a Tuesday. Tough to say with how my day is going to line up, but we're here. Jimbo is here. I am here, and we are ready to talk about opening weekend MLB baseball. Let's go. The best holiday of the year. Baseball is officially, officially back. And for some teams, it was really fun. For some teams, shout out the <laughs> Orioles. It was a lot less fun. Yeah. There was there were some uh, some teams that I felt pretty bad for out there. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You know, usually, usually what happens is baseball season rolls around and you're hopeful. The spring, the snow is melting. Uh, it's springtime, you know, and the sun is coming out and it's 50 degrees and it's nice and you get the brats on, you get the beers drank and eating some chips and it's a wonderful time and your baseball team starts and you're like, this could be the year. A couple things break right. We could make the playoffs. There's no hope for the Orioles in that. Every other team in baseball, you can have, you can say that about the Orioles you're looking forward to Adley Rushman, and uh, that's that's going to be your playoffs. So I'm sorry, Orioles fans. It's a low blow, but you've got Adley coming. That's exciting. And uh, once he gets called up, we'll see what happens. Yeah, they're definitely uh, – if I was an Orioles fan, I'd definitely be – the minor leagues would definitely be more uh, more intriguing because they, they do have a nice farm system. They have the best farm system in baseball. Yeah, they're according to some nice, uh, nice prospects. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there, but um, even even teams that cut salary like the Reds, even the Pirates, you know those teams won games, but the Orioles they had to go against the Rays. Obviously, Wander Franco on base machine, absolute stud. But we'll get into that. So the plan for today, for everyone listening, is that Jimbo and I are going to go division by division, team by team, and we're going to talk about a guy or two. From each team. Um, and we're going to spend maybe a minute, two minutes per guy. It's going to be a decently long episode, but I think you guys will enjoy it. We wanted to, I, you know, we wanted to get uh, a guy per team so that nobody felt like they are left out. If you're an ace fan and you're listening to this and we don't talk about an A, that would be disappointing. We don't want that to ha- happen to you. So we will be talking about every team and we are going to be starting with the NL East. And then going to the NL Central, then to the NL West, and then to the AL East, AL Central, AL West. And then when we're done with the AL West, 
Jimbo and I will just talk about random things that we enjoyed this weekend that doesn't have to do with the specific players we brought up or anything we might have noticed. Anything at all, really. So, um, Jimbo, are you ready? Oh, dude, I am so pumped for this. This is going to be... This is going to be quite the undertaking. I think it's going to be a good episode. So I uh, I hope you enjoy it. I know I'll enjoy it. And I hope everyone listening enjoys it. All right. Well, let's start off with... Oh, before we begin, a quick little ad for you. Tomorrow, Tuesday, <laughs> whatnot. Slab Stocks, whatnot, on Tuesday, 5 p.m. Central Time. We are going to be back with some single sales so if you are looking to get into your, your prospect fix or your um, MLB rookie fix, anything like that, we will have plenty of cards under $100 that you can get in on if you're looking for some Tigers or you're looking for some A's or you're looking for some Orioles or some Blue Jays or um, Rangers or anybody like that. We've got cards for you. So Tuesday, 5 p.m. Central Time, please join. And then also Thursday, We'll be going wander hunting at 5 p.m. Central Time with some top series one jumbo packs, some top series one hobby packs, and some tops heritage trying to find a wander or two. So that will, will be Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time also. So hope to see you guys there on one of the days or two of the days. Come. You don't even have to buy anything. Just talk baseball with us. It'll be a good time. All right. Now. Back to the episode, the NL East, or as some say, the NL Beast, and we're going to start off with the Mets. These are not in alphabetical order. They are just in the order of which I could remember the teams. <laughs> so, Hopefully you didn't miss one. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I missed one. That would be, that would be unfortunate if I did, though. <laughs> um, we're going to start out with the Mets, and for the Mets, I would like to talk about Chris Bassett. <coughs> So Chris Bassett was traded from the A's to the Mets this past winter. And obviously he was really good last year with the A's. He had a 315 ERA in 157 innings. Well, he's starting out his Mets career, 33 years old, same age as Jacob deGrom, actually, which is kind of crazy. Uh, starting out his Mets career and he pitched six innings, gave up no runs, struck out eight walked one that's a good start that's a very good start only gave up three hits no extra base hits i'm pretty sure i could be wrong there but i'm pretty sure no extra base hits um so it's just nice to see that they sign you know they jacob Degrom gets injured they sign max scherzer they trade for chris bassett and chris bassett and taylor uh, taylor mcgill or tyler mcgill two of their best outings of the weekend yeah, that that was he had a great game and uh that was an absolute steal by the Mets this offseason. They gave up like nothing for him and they're going to get a lot of production out of him. Now, of course, they did play the Nationals and the Nationals outside of Juan Soto and somewhat Nelson Cruz um are a very met team. So, don't be expecting much out of the Nationals this year and and you can't uh take every single stat we say from this weekend with a grain of salt. Because some of these teams played really bad teams. Some of these teams played really good teams. Some of these teams, like the Cubs, played a Brewers pitching staff that clearly wasn't ready and was not ready to pitch in cold weather. 
I don't expect Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta to pitch as poorly as they did this past weekend going forward once the weather gets warm. You know, so take everything you hear with a grain of salt, but it is interesting. We do have some outlier performances and stuff that we have to talk about. And Chris Brassett was the first guy I wanted to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing to touch on that is, you know, with, with the stats, the stats are one thing, but for the games that we actually watched, um, you know, there's definitely things that if you watch certain games and you watch them live, you can pick up things that stats don't necessarily tell the story about um, that I'm excited to, to talk about because there were a couple of games where um, there were some players that stood out that maybe the, the stats didn't necessarily stand out. Like Seiya Suzuki from the yeah. Cubs. There's a couple of things where, I mean, we'll get into it later, I guess. Just keep that name in mind. We'll get into it later. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, Jimbo, you yeah. had a second Met. Yeah. So, I, so for my uh, for my Met that that I'm excited for is uh, Jeff McNeil. Um, you know, a good, you know, pretty young player. He he broke out. What was that? A couple of years ago. Um, but he's one that that I was keeping an eye on this year because I was pretty high on him last year, and he struggled. Uh, he came back from, or he had an injury. I forget Six. what. 679 OPS for those who are wondering what struggling means. Yeah, 670. He hit 251, uh, seven bombs, 30, 35 RBIs, but he only had, uh, what is it? He played 120 games. So I guess that's still, that's quite a bit of games. But I know he was battling some, some injuries last year. He wasn't full 100%. Um, but I know he's a good player. So this year he came out and he was pretty impressive of the at bats that I saw. Um, you know, very small sample size, but within four games, he, you know, he said he had seven hits with 16 at bats and only one strikeout. And you know, me with the strikeouts, huge seven hits, six singles, which is still better than his teammate, Mark Canna, who had seven hits and seven singles or eight hits and eight singles, something like that. Mm -hmm. But as a, just a pure baseball player, you know, not not necessarily talking about card wise. He's just a good overall player to have on your team when you have the lineup that they have, um, where you have the Pete Alonzo behind you. Robinson Cano um, is back. He looked he looked pretty impressive. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while. And like a, a Frankie Lindor, you wanted Jeff McNeil uh, to be in that to be in that lineup to to generate some on base. Someone on base for for some of these sluggers to to hit you in. So mm -hmm. um, he was definitely the one I would be impressed with, or the one that that I was excited to watch the most uh, on this Mets team. I like it. I like it. I like Jeff McNeil. Have for a while. Obviously, 2019 he was a 900 plus OPS guy. That's probably not the case moving forward because the baseball was absolutely juiced in 2019. Yeah. Jimbo talks about it a lot, and. Uh, just throw out 2019 stats and pretty much throw out 2020 stats um, because of the 60-game season. But we do know he's a nice player because his rookie year, he had a good year, and last year, down year, but should start out pretty well. So excited there. Moving on to the Braves, and for me, it's got to be Matt Olson. Obviously, the whole thing is he just got traded, right? He got traded from the A's to the Braves. And what does he do in his sample size, a small sample size with Atlanta? 
He's casually hitting 571 with a 647 on base and a 929 slugging. He has a home run. He has a ton of hits. Uh, talking eight hits, five singles, two doubles, and a home run in 14 at-bats, three walks, three strikeouts. Like, the dude is crushing it in his new park, which kind of to be expected. A's playing a huge park, and now he gets to go to the Braves in a somewhat smaller park. And he also gets to play against, you know, the Phillies and not the Mets. The Mets have a big park, but I don't think the Nationals have a, like a gigantic park per se. So he's not playing in those gigantic a- a- AL West parks. Very true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the big factor that I, I'm a big believer in is uh, the protection of the lineup, which I don't think he saw much of with the A's team. You know, you had your Matt Chapman, but. And more of Matt a, Chapman's been uh, trending the wrong direction the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think we'll see. A, I was excited to see how that first series was, how comfortable he was on a new team, how the fans were uh, going to basically welcome him in, which standing ovation is first at bat, which was really cool to see. Um, but yeah, extremely impressive. But, you know, not to steal the same person. So I'm going to go someone else that. I'm really excited to see this year that I was really impressed last year is an Austin Riley. And um, he had a good first four games, just like uh, I think he'll be the catalyst of this team with Matt Olson. Um, And then, you know, when we get Acuna back, those three right there, plus, you know, a few of these other key pieces they have on this team. um, This is going to be a dangerous lineup like it was last year, but an Austin Riley, man, I think this could be his year. He people really start to remember his name. Um, you know, to start off, he hit a, he hit a bomb with 13, uh, 13 at bats, uh, on five hits. He had a, a double, a bomb, uh, two ribbies, three, uh, three walks and one strikeout. So he's hitting a 385 average. And I know you love your OPS 1.221. I like it. Oh. I do love my OPS. You I do. love my OPS because it's a good, it's a good way to be like, you know, obviously it doesn't tell you which number is bigger. It doesn't tell you which number is bigger between on base percentage and slugging. So there can be high OPSs where it's all slugging and no on base or high OPSs where it's all on base and no slugging. And it doesn't really paint the best picture per se, because you don't know if they're hitting for power or they're just getting on base and being a good player. And there's a difference there, but when you look up and you say, all right, this dude's a 740 OPS, you're like, eh, not that good. You say uh, 820, all right, we're getting pretty good. 900s, superstar, thousands, MVP, right? Um, and so it's it's just an easy baseline to be like, if you have a if you have a thousand OPS like Vlad did last year, a thousand and two, really hard to hit a thousand OPS without hitting a 400 on base. And a 600 slugging. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So I just, I love it. Um, easy, easy way to just look at guys and be like, all right, this is how good this guy is based on this OPS. And without knowing his on base or slugging, you still know that he's a good, a good player. As for Austin Riley, people forget he was worth 4.2 defense or fan graphs win above replacement. And I believe he was worth like six baseball reference wins above replacement last year. Um, and that's a flawed stat. It's a flawed stat, but it also is a nice, like, I know he was good, you know, and he is definitely, he's young. 
He's only 25 this year. He had a breakout year last year, and if he can continue that, oh, gonna be uh, gonna be some money to be made on Austin Riley this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this. <clears throat> I think he got. I, I remember watching a little bit of one of the games. I think he got hit in the hand or or got hit somewhere, and it had me worried a little bit. And but he didn't come out of the game, and um, but. That is the risk with some of these players. One one pitch to the hand or something crazy like that. So if, if you're thinking card-wise, always put that in perspective. One pitch can uh, can come crashing down for a season. Mm-hmm. Very much. You get hit in the hand and break a hand bone, <laughs> game over. You get hit in the wrist, especially if you get hit in the wrist and break a wrist or something. I mean, I've seen guys that broke Ricky Weeks, stud, breaks a wrist, didn't come back the same ever again. Yeah. I thought you said ham bone at first. <laughs> ham bone. That's Get the hitting one. the ham bone. <laughs> That'd be a new one. Uh, well, let's move on from the Braves, uh, former World Series champs from last year, to the Nationals World Series champs three years ago? 2019? Four years ago? No, three years ago. 2019, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019, okay. Um, So let's move on to the Nationals. And I didn't pick out a single guy, but I picked out the whole team. Because if you look at the top, like, four guys, Kiebert Ruiz, Josh Bell, Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, you're like, yeah, that could be a good lineup. Kiebert Ruiz, nice young player, nice young catcher. Josh Bell, decently young first baseman. That's kind of interesting. Juan Soto, obviously super interesting. Nelson Cruz, not young at all, but everyone knows what Nelson Cruz can do. And then you start moving down the list, and you're like, ooh, Cesar Hernandez, Yadiel Hernandez, Alcides Escobar, Mikhail Franco, D. Strange uh, Gordon. Like, we've got Alcides Escobar, Mikhail Franco, and D. Strange Gordon on the same team taken up at bats. Like, if you've got one of those guys taken up at bats, okay. Yeah, you've got three of those guys taking up at bats. That's depressing. They're neither. They're not young. They don't have upside. Um, like Mikel Franco, maybe, maybe he finally figures it out and puts together a 25, 30 home run season, but unlikely. And then Alcides Escobar and D Strange Gordon are in their thirties, and they weren't good before. They're not good now. <laughs> yeah, I, it's tough, man. Like seeing this and and put it in like a fan's pers like if I was a national fan's perspective, it'd be tough because you're looking at a lineup where probably six of the nine players won't be there in two or three years. So no. it's like, how do you get excited, you know, to watch besides your Juan Soto and it's, uh, keep it It's very conceivable that the only guys that'll be here in three years are Juan Soto and Kiva Ruiz. Yeah. Yep. Cause Victor Robles, man, he's, he's got to figure it out. I mean, he is, he is phenomenal in center though, like gold glove all day long, but man, he's got to figure out how to hit because if I remember right, he hit like two or three last year and that's just not going to cut it year after year. To put it in perspective, um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was like the third best defender in baseball and he was worth like two wins above replacement by himself or three wins above replacement by himself last year. Uh, let me, let me actually pull up his stats as a defender, like insane. All you have to do is be just not absolutely atrocious with the bat. And, and you can be, 
you can be a valuable player. Last year, he was so bad with the bat that he was actually worth negative wins above replacement. Here you go. He was worth 10.9 uh, on fielding and positional adjustment combined above average defense. He was worth 10.9, whatever that means on fan graphs, but negative 33.1 on offense, which combined to give him a negative 0.8 win above replacement. Now, that wasn't war, defensive war, or offensive war. I don't really know what it means, but it just goes to show you that he was really good in defense. And if he was just meh at the plate, he would have been a really positive player for the Brewers because his defense was as good as it gets. But he was so atrocious. I'm talking. I'm talking a 163 average, 236 on base, and a 261 slugging in 134 games last year. That uh, no matter how good your defense is, if you can't hit, yeah. you just don't have a spot in the league. And he got traded to the Red Sox, and who knows? Maybe going back to what he knows will help him out. But you can play as good defense as you want. And he played exceptional, exceptional, exceptional defense. And the Brewers still got rid of him because he couldn't hit a lick. And yeah. the same thing could happen to Victor Robles. Yeah, and that's what people worry about Christian Pache. Not to jump around, but um, but yeah, that's what they worry about him. But one person, that, one player I do want to highlight on the, the Nationals besides you know Juan Soto being probably the best hitter um, in the league right now is Kiebert Ruiz. I liked this kid for a while. He was the kid that got traded over for uh, – in the package with uh, Trey Turner and um, uh, Max Scherzer last year from the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. This kid, dude, I don't, he won't, he'll be sharing uh, a lot of at bats this year. He won't be playing every day, but this is a kid that I could easily see being a top five offensive catcher. He is, he has a phenomenal bat and I think he'll sneak in the lineup quite a bit uh, to hit even just as a DH or fill, you know, pinch hitting. They'll find a way to get this kid in the lineup especially with the the lineup that they're putting out every day. Yeah. Yeah, so, they uh I mean they need to they need to find ways. Yeah. He's one of a few, very few excellent players that they have or like upside players that they have. And yeah. their their other upside players that they had the Victor Robles and the um Carter Kaibooms and stuff, they're just disappointing as can be. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. That's the Nationals. That is the Nationals for you. Juan Soto. If you're a Nationals fan, you're tuning into the games anyways to watch Juan Soto, but uh nothing else. Yeah. Nothing else. And I did that, I did that a number of years when the Brewers were rebuilding and they only we rebuilt, but we only had a top five pick and a top nine pick, and then we're back out into the teens and twenties, which pretty impressive rebuild, if you ask me. And uh during those two years, I just watched the Brewers to watch Ryan Braun hit. I watched every game, but it was always When's Ryan Braun coming up? When's Ryan Braun coming mm -hmm. up? The Nationals are going to do the same thing with Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the Phillies. And my choice here is Alec Baum. So obviously Baum, first year, 2020, 44 games, 180 plate appearances. He did really well. 138 WRC plus, 38% better than league average. He hit 338 with a 400 on base and a five and a 481 slugging. He also had a 410 batting average on balls in play, which is astronomically high and it was unsustainable. And he only had a 144 isolated power, which is below league average. So there was definitely some outlier or like uh, red flags there. 
Well, you fast forward a year and the red flags reared their ugly head. His isolated power went down. His batting average balls in play went down and his whole stat line went down. 247 average, 305 on base and a 342 slugging. Good for a 75 WRC plus, which is 25% worse than league average. So it's like, what version are you going to get? The one that was kind of lucky and put up good numbers. The one that was just not lucky, not unlucky and put up terrible numbers. Um, the talent's there. He was number three overall pick, and he did well in the minors, so the talent is there. It's just a weird couple of years for him. Well, he only played one game, you know, so this is this is just, this isn't like, hey, get excited about him. But I wanted to bring it up because he plays his first game of the year, and there's a lot of pressure on him to perform well, and he hits a single, he hits a double, and he gets a walk in his three three plate appearances. You just love to see it for a guy that struggled to come out, play his first game, and do well. Um, not much more you can get from it than that because his last two years are so – his good year had a ton of red flags, and his bad year didn't really have any, like, oh, he got unlucky, which means, mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of looking at a guy that his bad year was the year he was supposed to have, and his good year was not. And now it's like, can he get back to his minor league numbers and hit well? We'll see, but it's a nice start for somebody who has to be feeling all the pressure in the world to perform. Yeah, and he should – I mean, he has a great opportunity too on this team. There's so much protection in this lineup, and I don't think he'll have to play every day with the depth that they have. So, you know, they could be playing him out, you know, putting him in the lineup for matchups as well, which is mm -hmm. only going to help his numbers. Um, but, yeah, I, that he's an interesting one to watch this year. I think this entire man. I watched. I watched a, a game of the Phillies. This lineup is scary. You got Dude, like, oh, it's like it's like it was. You just added Kyle Schwarber, who was the best, one of the best power hitters last year in the league, and you had Nick Cassianos, who was one of the best power hitters in the of the year last year in the league. You added him to the same team with Bryce Harper, who just won MVP. It's like. And you have Reese Hoskins, who has his faults, but also is a nice player. That's a pretty formidable top four. And that doesn't even get into all the other decent players they have around the diamond. Yeah. It's it's going to so, be. Exciting. Oh, and JT, JT Real Muto, you know, the list keep. I forgot about him completely while I was talking about those two. I mean, JT Real Muto, you look up at the end of the year, he could be the best player on the team. Yeah. Yeah, this entire team. I like to the balance. Like they brought in Cassianos, who destroys left-handed pitching usually. Um, so I'm excited for that. And they got some nice pieces there. You know, Bryce Harper. I think you know he didn't he didn't do anything spectacular this week <clears throat> this weekend, but at the end of the year he'll put up the numbers that he normally does. I really like Bryson Stott for the position he's in. I don't think he's the guy that's going to be putting up like the monstrous numbers. But if you watch his at bats, he he just does everything right. Like that's the thing with him. Like he doesn't do anything that's like exceptional, but he just when you watch him, he is a ball player. He is like the Jeff McNeil. Like he will take pitches, he'll get walks, he'll work the bat, uh, work work the pitcher, good defensive uh, glove. I think he's perfect in, on this team because he'll be the guy that will be on on base a lot for these other guys to hit him in. Um, so I like that. I like that piece there um, as well. For the for the Phillies, I've always said, find yourself somebody that loves you as much as Jimbo loves Bryson Stott. 
Uh, I just like good ball players. Like that's the thing. Like, <laughs> like if I was a GM, I'd be the guy with the Bryce's stats, the Nick Mavericks, like just good ball players. So what you're telling me is you'd be the guy with all of the scrappy, scrappy ball players, scrappy in yes. in quotes because that's the that's the uh, that's the like scout lingo uh, that does a lot of things well, but also isn't going to hit a ton of home runs or. Uh, probably driving a ton around like like i like those players but if you put jeff mcneil nick madrigal and bryson stott all in the same lineup that lineup would not do well well that's the thing it's it's a puzzle piece it's a a team is a puzzle where you got to have the the right pieces as a whole like you know you would go out and find you know a good power guy to hit behind him so i have an idea hmm. we go on down and be the show we grab your Jeff McNeils and like your Tony Kemp's and your Bryson Stotts and all of these similar middle infield type guys that get on base, don't strike out a ton, um, but don't hit for Nick Madrigal, don't hit for a ton of power. And then we make a full starting nine of them outside of catcher because you can't do that. Um, but first base, second base, shortstop, third base, left field, center field, right, right field. And then we sim a season and see how they do. You'd have a lot of angry pitchers, opposing pitchers. Yeah, you'd, you'd work pitch counts for sure, but you also would end the year with 50 home runs. Yeah, that's why you got you to gotta get your cheap options like a... Um, Nelson Cruz? Yeah, like a Nelson Cruz you throw in there that just cleans cleans up the... Or entire... a Solaire. Yeah, so it's all yeah. the balance. But man, I mean, watching baseball you know, it, makes, it makes sense. If you get... If you get three guys top of the order that get on base 40% of the time. And then you throw in one guy that hits 35 home runs in a year. Um, he should be hitting a home run. What? Once every uh, five games. And if he hits a home run once every five games and those guys are getting on 40% of the time, you know, that's likely going to be a two, three run shot. Most of the time. Yeah. And I just feel like there's not a stat that really complements the, the, the players that do grind at bats, like, you know, a, a batter going up and in, in seeing 12 pitches or eight pitches or anything like that. And then I, even getting on base. Like I have a question for you. What's up? Is it worth grinding at bats nowadays? And let me explain myself. There's a lot of good starting pitchers in the league, but you can figure them out. You see them the most, um, and they don't usually throw, you know, 100 miles per hour with a 92-mile-per-hour slider or something like that. Or you can go and you can face Bruce Star Gradwell and Jordan Hicks and Josh Hader and all those guys in the bullpen. So it's like if you are grinding pitches – to get to teams bullpens nowadays, usually those guys are nastier than the starting pitchers. They just don't have as much endurance or they don't have the same amount of pitches to be able to get through the lineup multiple times. Um, and so I, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, you know, back in the day, grinding pitchers was great. Bullpens were not nearly as good as starting pitchers. So get the starting pitcher out and then feast on the bullpen. And for some teams you can do that. But like, if you're, if you're grinding pitchers, pitches on the um brewers to get to their bullpen 
congratulations. You get to face Jake Cousins, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader. Like, that still stinks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you have that where, you know, that's definitely not – like, you have the teams that have a good bullpen, and, that, you know, that's not ideal. But the fact that, you know, a three-game series, too, if – yeah you got to look at it holistically. And then if it's in division, the more you see those guys, it's all about seeing pitches. Like you start to figure them out. Like you, the, the good pitchers will make adjustments, but a lot of the time, like that's why they say the third time around a lineup, it's different. You know, like they it usually, they don't perform. Not, not only do they say it, but if you look up the stats, it backs it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, pitchers generally, unless you're insanely good, like a Max Scherzer will have significantly worse OPS is against them third time through the order. Uh, the king of this was Giovanni Gerardo. Through five innings, dude was a stud. Get through two times through the order, dude was a stud. You go to the third, and if they just pulled him after the fifth inning every year, he would have had like two-something ERAs every year. You let him pitch that sixth inning and start the third time through the order, he's given up four runs. Exactly. And that's why you need you need those batters to grind out pitches because it's also – the more they see, the more the guys that are on deck, all of that they're seeing. Because when you when the batters go back to the, the dugout, they're telling them what they're seeing. Or if they're tipping pitches, the more they see, the more they can catch. Yeah. And there's just a lot to that. And then also the guys that when they get on base, uh, like for instance, Tim Anderson got on base. Obviously, he's a speedster. He's probably going to steal a Lou Bob, like those guys like that. I'm telling you right now, the pitchers aren't, you know, they're, they're not going to be at a hundred percent if they got a guy on first, cause they're worried about him, And then that only helps the rest of the lineup. As a former JV pitcher, I can't confirm. Uh, <laughs> accurate. They never let me pitch on varsity. Something about not wanting guys plunked on the opposing team. Don't know. <laughs> I, uh, for those of you at home, I, my, my slab stock, Sam plunked one dude in his career. I think I averaged three a game. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to brush them off. Got to brush them off the plate. That's my plate. Get away from it. Also, <laughs> that's my batter's box. Yeah. So, well, let's move on. The last team in the NL East, the Marlins. And I wanted to talk about Pablo Lopez. So many of you will remember him, or maybe you won't remember him, um, as the guy who started out a game last year with nine straight strikeouts. I think it was nine. I don't think it was 10. I think it was nine. He almost uh, tied the record, but then he didn't. But nine straight strikeouts last year, um, and it was kind of his coming out party, if you will. And uh, you you fast forward to the start of this year. He was good through the rest of la- the last year. He had a 3.07 ERA in 102 innings, 10 strikeouts per nine, stud. Well, through one game this year, five innings. 1.80 ERA so you know he gave up a run he gave up only three hits and he struck out six guys in five the Marlins should be very excited they have between him and Sandy Alcantara they've got two guys that could easily be you look up at the end of the year and they're co-aces and Rogers they got a young kid and Trevor Rogers he's solid those three yeah so the Marlins the Marlins should be really really excited Pablo Lopez is is really really good and i always love pablo lopez because uh put this in your cap for the number one reason why to just put cards away in boxes and pull them out every once in a while pablo lopez i'm sure i told this before but i had his top scroll rookie auto 
It was like a dollar when I pulled it at the 2019 national, put it in a box, sold it last year, the same day he uh, pitched nine through nine straight strikeouts and put it up and sold it for like 20 some bucks. So that's the way to do it, dude. Every time, you, you know, you could sell it for a dollar or you could sell it for 20. You didn't need the dollar then. $20, no matter who you are, you hand somebody $20, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a billionaire, you hand them 20 bucks, they'll figure out how to spend it. Yeah. I know. That's, I was looking at my Comp C this morning and uh, all these random players that sold over the weekend. I was like, why did this players, you know, sell? And so that, like, it almost makes me go look at like what happened. Like, what did this player do to, to get it to, to sell? Uh, but you're right, dude. But other than that, those three pitchers, there's not much to talk about the Marlins. They are very confusing. They have Jesus Sanchez in center, which makes zero zero sense. It's almost like they're trying to tank, and they're almost like way too obvious about it because uh, they're putting – you like Jazz? They put uh, Jazz Chisholm in the ninth, the ninth hole, and then I don't think they even started him one of the games. Goodness, they heroes. didn't. They didn't. He only played two games. Like that is your most exciting player, most exciting hitting, like uh, position player, and I, yeah, I just don't know what the Marlins are doing. It's yeah. kind of confusing. It makes no sense. Face of the franchise should be Jazz, but also Jesus Sanchez. I like him as a as a. He had eight home runs in the last month of the season last year, and I like him as like a. It's a lottery ticket for sure, but if he can hit eight home runs in a season in a major in a in a month in a major league season, he's got talent. Yeah. Right? That he's you can't you can't fake that. And um if you can do that, you can definitely hit 30 home runs in a year. And so for me, Jesus Sanchez is one of those like, all right, cheap tops chrome sapphire, something like that. Buy it, sit on it. And if he does end up hitting 30 home runs and is the best position player on the Marlins this year, or the best hitter, hey, you, you could get a top scrum Sapphire for probably 10 bucks or under and sell it for 20, 30, you know, it's cheap. Yeah. It's not, it's not big money. Right. But um, definitely a play for those poor boys out there like myself. Absolutely. He is definitely a great hitter. Um, I, sorry, I'm look, I was looking through my slabs. I have a, a red, Bowman Chrome of him, ooh, uh, slap. But I, I won't, I won't try and go find it. But yeah, great hitter. But I just don't understand why he's in center. He's more of like a, a right fielder, DH, you know, somewhere where he doesn't have to run much. Yeah. But yeah, great hitter. Great. Hitter. Well, tell you what, we just spent thirty-seven minutes and we made it through one division. Classic Jimbo and Nate. So <laughs> um, we have five divisions left, and we can't be taking forty minutes per on these. All right. So. We should have like a little timer. We're we're gonna speed it up. Uh, real 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 quick bullet points here. Uh, so we move on to the NL Central Brewers. For me, it's Christian Yelich. We needed a bounce back in the worst way if the Brewers want to be good. And so far, so good. First game, some rough ground outs to the left side, but he's walked three times. He's only struck out three times. He has a double, and he's hitting 375, 538, 500. Uh, we'll take that. We'll take that for sure from Christian Yelich. If he's getting hits and he, he has, oh, I have a tweet here that I was actually going to read out. Um, he's getting hits and he, his exit velocities are yet again in the top 
97% of all exit exit velocities in the early going. Obviously, it's only three games. But we've got it here. Christian Yelich, if he fixes the launch angle problem, he from from Riley, tweets by Riley. Christian Yelich, if he fixes the launch angle problem, he's one of the best players in the league again. 97 percentile in average exit velocity, 91st percentile in max exit velocity, 97 percentile in hard hit percentage, 75th percentile in barrel percentage, 98th percentile in chase rate. So he's not chasing the ball either. 90th percentile in walks. Um, he is going to strike out. He's going to swing through stuff. That, But uh, if he starts lifting the ball a little bit more instead of grounding out, you're looking at old Christian Yelich again. And uh, the Brewers need that in the worst way. They really do. But I know they had a rough, uh, you know, go with the pitchers, you know, with because that the, the three-headed monster that they have for their starting pitching. But I was watching the, the opening game. And who was that? Burns? Burns, yeah. It, his command was off, but I don't think – apparently they switched baseballs this year and they're more slick. Mm-hmm. And he was just missing by a little bit, which he, that's not like him. No. And with most of it's the Cubs where they strike out a ton. He set I'm a record. He set a record last year for yeah uh, amount of amount of batters faced before issuing his first walk to start a season, and then his first batter this year he walked him. <laughs> I was watching that. I was like, in my head, like putting myself in his perspective. He, in my head, he, I was like, he probably did that on purpose because he's like not dealing with the drama this year. Yeah, I'll just get it over with. And Brandon Woodruff doesn't really walk guys. He walked three guys and plunked two. Um, and Freddie Peralta also started out his game with a walk. So it just wasn't – the Brewers pitching just wasn't ready. It was nasty out all weekend. I don't take anything from this Cubs series. I don't I don't take anything from it. It it's, it is what it is. It stinks that we're 1-2 and two on the year against the Cubs. But what are you going to do? And speaking of the Cubs, I've got two guys I want to talk about from them. Uh, one of the rare teams that I have two people I want to talk about – and the reason is, is because I want to talk about Ian Happ. Um, he w- absolutely killed it this weekend. Hit 714, 778, 1,000 slugging. And no home runs, but he had five hits in nine plate appearances, two doubles. And he also walked once, got hit by pitch once. So he didn't play all three games. But in the games he did get in, he was getting hits again which is very nice to see because his breakout a couple of years ago in uh, 2020, he was hitting for power. And the last year he kind of continued it, but he trended backwards in a few key categories, namely walk percentage went down two points, strikeout percentage went up two points, isolated power went down. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, a backwards trend for him, but he was still a decent player. Well, you start this year, age 27, entering his prime, and he's starting out hot. So you love to see that. And then the guy I really wanted to talk about, <clears throat> and I promised I'd talk about him later, was Seiya Suzuki. He obviously came over from Japan. The Cubs paid $100 million all in for his contract and posting fee. And he did not disappoint. He did not disappoint. Hit his first career home run against Freddie Peralta. He also um, hit 375 with a 538 on base and a 750 slugging. He had two doubles and that home run. He walked four times. He struck out four times, but he walked four times. And the thing for me watching those games is that 
usually Japanese guys struggle with velocity. Yeah, that was because Japanese pitchers have a lot of nasty pitches, but they just don't, they're not throwing 96, 97, 98. And then you go up against the Brewers who have Corbin Burns that throws 95, 96 mile per hour cutters. You've got Brandon Woodruff who throws 98 miles per hour, can touch 99, 100. And you have Freddie Peralta who throws a 95 mile per hour two seamer that he can get to move like any which way he wants. That's velocity. That is as much velocity as you are going to face against any team's starting pitchers. And he went up there and he was he he was not overpowered. Now, again, small sample size. The Brewers, it's like the minor leagues. You get minor league guys come up. You know what they do, but you don't know what they do against majors. And they usually perform well, right? Minor leaguers, uh, especially pitchers. And then you get guys from over from Japan and you can scout their J- Japanese league stats and the video and stuff, but they don't really have a game plan for them yet. Mm-hmm. So I expect them to keep doing well through the first month or so. But then once you get into the second, third month, people are going to have a game plan and we're going to be able to see what Suzuki can actually do because right now you're just going to challenge him and figure out what he can do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I don't I don't take much from it, but I do know that he can hit. I do know that velocity isn't a problem. Now we'll see if he's able to adjust. I agree. Um, since we are on a time uh, time limit here, the only thing I'll say about the Cubs is Ian Hat, Cincinnati Bearcat alum. Shout Let's out. Shout like out. Jimbo and his Cincinnati Bearcats. I had no idea Ian Hat was a Cincinnati Bearcat. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's move on to the Pirates and Cabrian Hayes, who just signed a seven-year, no, eight-year, seventy million dollar deal. Um, yeah. Got somewhat cramping; had some cramping in his hand in the first game, and uh, to start the year, he's hitting four hundred, four fifty-five with a five hundred slugging. Eleven in eleven plate appearances, and he has one double and three hits in those eleven plate appearances. Nothing to write home about. Not like super exciting or anything. The exciting thing is he signed his four year or his seven year or his eight year, but eight year, $70 million deal. And uh, that's, that's the nicest thing we can say about the pirates right now. Yeah. I was going to say, there's not much to say besides Brian Hayes. I'm excited to watch him this year. Um, but other than that, more like waiting, uh, the, I'll be watching their minor leagues more than uh, their major leagues. Oh yeah. And for Cabrian, a lot of people, I think the worst thing that happened to him was his that little taste he got in 2020. People expecting him to be a 900-plus OPS guy. That's just not him. And if you're expecting that, I'm sorry. He's probably going to be like at his peak, like an 820, 830 OPS guy. But with the defense there, that's a super, 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 super valuable player. All right, let's move on to the Reds and Hunter Green. I, of course, I had to bring up Hunter Green because he was my rookie of the year pick for the NL, and he pitched in his first game in his major league career. He looked now good. earned runs wise, it didn't really do well. Uh, three earned runs in five innings, two home runs, two walks. So that was eh, giving up those home runs, giving up those rocks in five innings, disappointing, but. He also had seven strikeouts in five innings. So we take the bad with the good there. 
and the Reds played the Braves, so it was a good team. He was facing a very good lineup. So we'll take those seven strikeouts. He'll learn. He'll figure it out. Corbin Burns' his first year, he gave up a bajillion home runs, right? Now he is a Cy Young Award winner. So don't freak out if you're Reds fans and you're like, uh, he gave up two walks, he gave up two home runs. This stinks. Just focus on the positive. Seven strikeouts in his major league debut in five innings. Let's go. If I remember right, he uh, I think he had a clean, like the first through the the lineup, like through the first time he was looking phenomenal. It was after they saw him a little bit. They started hitting him around a little bit. But I mean, for a guy that young coming in for his first start, you're you're pretty impressed with uh, with what you saw, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, he went five innings in his major league debut. He struck out seven dudes. All right, he gave up a couple runs, whatever. That happens, especially to look at the Brewers pitching. Brand Woodruff has a 17 ERA right now. He's a top five pitcher in the NL last year, so nothing nothing to be worried about. Uh, definitely for these young guys, just trying to find, try to find the positives and build on them. Exactly. Um, let's move on to the Cardinals, and we each have a guy here. My guy is, though I do love Jimbo's guy, I just I couldn't pass up talking about my guy, which is Nolan Arenado. I don't like Nolan Arenado. I didn't like him when he was on Colorado. I don't like him when he's on St. Louis. <laughs> and it's mainly just because he's really good. <laughs> yeah, I especially don't like him when he's on St. Louis. But on Saturday, he went four for four with three doubles. He also has two home runs on the year. So in the early going, he has five extra base hits and a single. It's hitting 500, only two strikeouts with a walk. And he's always going to play his really good defense at third base. Uh-huh. Like if you're getting this many extra base hits from him going forward and playing good defense, we're unfortunately looking at yet again, one of the best players in the MLB instead of like an 800 OPS type of guy. Yeah. He's a cool Glover every year. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, one player I wanted to bring up where, you know, he had a good first three games, um, you know, nothing, Nothing like top 10 of the weekend, but he had a great, uh, great year last year. So he's one that I'll be watching a lot this year to see how he does, you know, seeing how he follows up with the, with the great year last year is Tyler O'Neill, which he had nine bats and he had two hits. One of them was a bomb and he had six ribbies in three games. So I thought that was a pretty funny stat line. But last year, it's more the reason why I'm picking him is it's more because of last year and seeing I think he's going to have a phenomenal year this year as well. Good defense, good bat on a Cardinals team that will always compete. Um, So that's my guy. You can't see me shaking my head up and down, but I am because I am agreeing with everything Jimbo says. I don't like the Cardinals as a Brewers fan, but I love Tyler O'Neill. He had a breakout and nobody really respected him. Yeah. And um I think you're going to look up at the end of the year and people are finally going to realize like, Oh wait, this is one of the best players in the national league. If you play fantasy baseball, this is the guy you want. Yeah. Um, also I want to go back to say Suzuki really quick before we move out of the NL. And I found, I saw a tweet earlier that I just had to bring up because it's insane. Cubs rookie Suzuki has been thrown 29 pitches that were outside of the strike zone in the first three games of the year. He took 28 of them for balls. 26 were called 
or he took 28 of them. 26 were correctly called balls. Two were called strikes. The one chase he had was an RBI single. So just the eye at the plate that early is insane. And uh, chase rate is one of these things that stabilizes really quickly. So when they say stable, and this is a tweet from John Becker, um, when they say stabilizes really quickly, what they mean for those of you listening is that you can have a smaller sample size and expect it to go the rest of the season. Um, Whereas things that don't stabilize quickly means you need a larger sample size of data before you're like, all right, that, that is what he is. Well, if it stabilizes quickly, you can take, you know, three game, four game, week game, you know, a week of samples or whatever and be like, yeah, if he can do this like this, he can do it going forward. His outside the zone swing rate, his chase rate, 3.1 percent lowest in the league um to put it in perspective Juan Soto Paul DeYoung guys who never strike out and never chase 11.1 percent in the early going so Suzuki we'll see what he does going forward but that dude does not chase I mean imagine having 29 pitches outside the zone and taking 28 of them put him on the Jimbo team he's a Jimbo guy He's a Jimbo guy. He is yeah. a Jimbo guy, but he also has power. So he's not a Jimbo guy. I mean, I'm not against power. I'm just more of. No, no, you are. You are. <laughs> oh, <sure>. Nah, dude. <laughs> nah. No, but it's, it's funny because I didn't know any of those stats. And just watching him, he passed the eye test for me, which I always like. It's either stats and then I watch. Like they have to, like one of the, the stats or the eye test, one of them is gets me to look more in depth. Mm-hmm. And. He passed the eye test, and then you tell me all that. So far, very small sample size, but so far, so good. Um, I'm excited to watch him this year. Yeah. It'll be a reason why I turn on the Cubs. It'll be a reason to buy Top Series 2 and Tops Chrome outside of trying to get Wander and all those guys. Well, he has a – it's so funny he, you say he has a Tops Now card. He does. That uh, I saw last night, and I, I I do Tops Now like no other. I buy 10 of like every single cool card I see on there. Um because I think it's just a cool set, but that even though no free ad, whatever people say these days, we're not with tops, but it is a cool card. If you want a Suzuki card before it, it times out. Cool. Yes. Investment wise. Hands up. Don't know. Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't have, think, I don't think tops now cards are great investments because anybody that thinks it's an investment is going after the tops now card. And then there's going to be, you know, 10,000 print. Exactly. Yep. So that wasn't Jimbo inve- investment Jimbo. It was more of like baseball card fan. If you want a Suzuki, uh, you know, oh, I got a cool Suzuki card put in the PC type. I like it. All right. Well, we made it through the NL Central in like 17 minutes, which is way better than 37. <laughs> so shout out to us. Let's, let's go. The, We're doing let's better. Let's knock now. the NL West down to 10 minutes and call it a day. All right. All um, right. Let's start with the Dodgers, and I'm going with Gavin Lux. Number one, have to, Wisconsin boy himself. Uh, number two, A.J. Pollock leaves, and now he gets chances to play baseball every game. And he played all three games over the weekend, which is awesome to see. And he also had three hits, uh, just three singles. He had two walks, and he didn't strike out. So he got on base five times, no strikeouts in 10 plate appearances. We'll take that. We'll take that all day long. Now, obviously, you want to see the power come. But for right now, as a Gavin Lux stand, all I want to do is see him play and get on base. 
and he did that this weekend. So shout out Gavin Lux. Yeah, no, I like Gavin. To be quick and not to be negative here, but you know, but I think the rest negative. of the team, I think we know who they are. But I have to talk about Cody Bellinger. I, this Oof. dude, I feel so bad for him, but he's definitely he's got the yips or something. Um, and I hope nothing but the best for him this year. But I got a, a feeling that I don't think he'll be on this uh, this Dodger lineup by the end of the year. Here's a question. I'm sure he probably has options left, though I don't know how to find that relatively quickly. Um, you think he's getting sent down, or do you think he's just getting released or traded? Oof, I don't know. I don't. If he has options, they'll send him down. But I don't. I don't know if he does or not. He's been in the league for for a bit now. Um, but man. You know, there, there's times where a guy, you know, like, oh, we just got to fix something here or there. He just looks lost up there at the plate. Spring, I mean, I saw it last year, spring training, you know, your hopeful fresh year. Spring training was really bad. Like, not just like, oh, you know, it's spring training. It is what it is. Like, I was watching his at-bats. He looked lost. And then this, I just, I got a feeling, unfortunately, because the Dodgers are a win now, cannot lose where he'll it'll be a shorter leash than if he was playing with the nationals or something like that. Um, so that's all I want to bring up about the Dodgers. The rest of that, I mean, they'll be fine by the end of the year holistically. Um, for those wondering, he does have three options, so they could option him this year, next year, and the year after that before having to outright him on to or outright him off the roster. So um, they could keep controlling him if he's really bad past when you'd expect him to become a free agent in 2024. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, moving on from the Dodgers to the Padres. And next up is Sean Manea. So the Padres picked up Sean Manea late in spring training. They didn't really give up a ton for him. And he came out. He was really bad last year. Not going to lie. Not going to or not last year. No, he was pretty good last year. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm thinking of somebody else. He was pretty good last year. 391 ERA and 179 innings. Um, But they grabbed him. I do believe he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, free agent 2023. So it's a one-year deal. They didn't pay a ton for him. And he goes out seven innings, seven strikeouts, one walk, zero hits yeah. in his first game. Talk about... Talk about a nice little debut is throwing seven innings of no-hit baseball. He looked um, good, dude. Yeah. I know it's based on Diamondbacks, but he looked good. Diamondbacks are not a good team, but they're still professional Major League Baseball players. You're not a bad baseball player if you make the majors, no matter who you are. And so, and it's 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 impossibly hard to no-hit a team, no, no matter if they are full of Dodgers salary players or Diamondbacks salary players. It's it's difficult. So if you can do it against any team, you're a good pitcher. So Shamanea, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough to even do it down in the minors if you're, no matter how good you are, it's just tough. Yeah. So the Padres should be excited. They've got, they just keep, they can't develop pitching on their own. Well, Ryan Weathers, I guess, and Mackenzie Gore, but they've both been kind of disappointing. But uh, they keep managing to pick up uh, the Shamaneas and the Blake Snells and the U Darvishes of the world. Mm hmm. That's and they they really haven't traded anything huge for those those players anyways. They've been 
building up so much depth in their their minor leagues, they can make those moves without sacrificing, you know, future players. Yep. And uh, if you're a prospect hugger, it's okay to trade prospects because we just watched as the Marlins got rid of um, Monte Harrison and Isan Diaz this year, along with getting rid of Lewis Brinson at the end of the year last year. And uh, the pitcher, Jordan Yamamoto, has been gone for years. And so that's four dudes, three top 100 prospects at various times in their lives, traded for Christian Yelich, and they're all gone from the Marlins, and all of them added up to be worth like negative six wins above replacement for the Marlins. So it's 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 okay to trade prospects away because most of them fail. Speaking of kind of failed prospects, let's move on to the Rockies. <laughs> And Brendan <laughs> Rodgers. Oh, my. So, Brendan Rodgers was okay last year. He had 100 WRC+, plus, literally league average. He was the epitome of a league average player with 1.6 wins above replacement. Uh, two win above replacement in a 162-game season would be a quote-unquote starter. Anything less than that is like a, um, a bench piece. He was at 1.6 and 102 games, 415 plate appearances, and 100 WRC+. Plus. He's basically as average of a starter as you can get. He's just an average player, but he was a top five pick at one point, And he was a like top 20 prospect. And now you're going and he, he had his first good year last year. He was in the majors at the age of 22 and 23 and 24 and now 25. And this weekend was not good for him. Fifth, or 13 plate appearances, he's hitting a buck or a 0 .091, 154 on base, 0 .091 slugging, which means he had a single single. Nothing one walk, up. one single, four strikeouts, one sack fly. Not a great start to the year for him, and it's really kind of like you got to do it now or you're forever. You just, you just, if he doesn't do it now, he's, he's pretty much done for having potential upside as a starter. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only thing I want to talk about the Rockies is there's a guy that, that would probably be on the you know top prospect, but because of the Nate theory of uh, not exciting name, Connor Joe. Connor Joe hit a big home run. I'm just kidding. I, when I saw that name in one of my drafts, I was like, Ooh, this is like, this guy would be talked about, but he has a boring name. So, I stand by it. No, I'm just messing with you. Other than that, there's not much to talk about the Rockies. Uh, Hey, they did win two out of three against the Dodgers. So for all we can say about the Rockies, they they took two out of three in the first series of the year against a team that on paper should wipe them off the face of the earth. (laughs) Yeah. All righty. Let's go on to my Diamondbacks. Ayo, D-backs. Hey, talk about him. Yeah, so there's a kid. I made a post actually like two hours before this happened. Seth Beer. I made a post like, hey, don't sleep on Seth Beer. Traded for Zach Greinke. And then he came up to bat, hit a walk-off bomb, and I was like, let's go. And on National Beer Day. Doesn't get much better than that. Um, but really for the Diamondbacks, you know, they're this year they're, they're going to throw a lot of players out there and they're going to see who sticks. And uh, the, the players that I would say that would probably have the chance at sticking are 
you know, your, your Dalton Varshows, your Seth Beer, your Geraldo uh, Perdomo, who I'm a fan of, and your Pavin Smiths of the world. We'll see if they sink or swim this year. Pavin Smith, I just pulled in uh, our whatnot uh, last Wednesday. I just pulled a Topps Chrome Sapphire Purple Auto of him, number to 10. Nice. Former uh, first rounder, if I remember right. Pavin, yeah, he was pick number eight, I believe. I think seven. he was, I think he was, was he seven? Mm-hmm. All right, seven. Um, number eight was Adam Hazley. No, no, not Hazley. Um, a Phillies like outfielder, I think. I can't remember now. Kesson Hero is number nine. Um, but the, the, the Diamondbacks for me, my guy is Merrill Kelly. So like Jimbo said, they're going to throw a lot of guys at the wall and see what sticks. Well, I'll tell you one guy who's going to stick and one guy who has super, super cheap rookie cards, despite the fact that he is, you know, 33 and, um, people aren't probably going to be buying him. There is a little bit of upside in those rookie cards because if he keeps doing what he did against a good Padres team, it'll be hard for people to ignore. He had four innings, four hits, two walks, but seven strikeouts in those four innings against a good Padres team to start the year after a good spring training. That's all I'm going to say about him. He's interesting. It's fun. He is 33, so there's probably, you know, I wouldn't go spend a ton of money, but there is probably a little bit of upside if you get a guy like him who hasn't really made a name for himself, finally making a name for himself you can probably get a nice card for like two, three bucks that you could flip for five. It's not going to be huge money. You'd have to do it a bunch to make big money. But if you're sitting there with a $20 card budget, spend you could spend five on Merrill Kelly and actually make some money back. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the Giants and the big boy, the guy we have to talk about, the guy who had as good of a debut for a team as I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is Carlos Rodon. So they just signed him this offseason from the White Sox. Obviously, the White Sox signed him last year to a one-year deal after a pretty disappointing tenure with the team. He was the number three overall pick in like 2014. Something like that. I think it was 2014. He was like the number three overall pick. And then he was pretty disappointing until last year when he had a 2.37 ERA in 132 innings and struck out dudes like crazy. Well, he has his debut with the Giants after they gave him like a 20 million a year type of deal. And he struck out 12 dudes in five innings and only gave up three hits. No walk or two walks, three hits, 12 strikeouts, five innings. Absolutely insane. Carlos Rodon, the real deal. Yeah. And he's only going to get only going to get better too in that, in that ballpark, to be honest with you. Um, but if we're going to talk about a little prospect action, we got uh, Helioit. I don't know if I said that right. Ramos got got the call up. Uh, good hitting out or outfielder, young guy for the Giants, who is definitely one that I think will have a nice impact on the Giants this year. So he'll be a fun one to watch this year. And then Joey Bart is another guy I'll be watching this year to see uh, see how he performs. I like it. All right, everyone, that is the end of this podcast. So thank you guys for listening to the NL section. We will pick up tomorrow with the AL section. So I hope you guys enjoy and we will talk to you again tomorrow.